Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. IndyCar driver Connor Daly likens a typical race to a fight. The exhaustion of stabilizing your body and the vehicle around a track at 250 miles an hour is intense to say the least. After about two hours of this, he's lost up to 9,000 calories and 16 pounds of water weight. While the struggle may appear to be purely physical, the real challenge lies in differentiating IndyCar racing with big sports like NASCAR and Formula One. Connor believes that embracing social media as a tool for notoriety will help bring this sport to the forefront. And no doubt, Connor, that uh, a guest appearance on Power Athlete Radio will give the sport the bump that it needs. Here it is, episode 530. So what's going on? How's everything going? Uh, Good, man. Uh, Honestly, I spent the most time I've spent home uh, in like three months over the last few days. So it's nice to be home for like more than two days. So it's good. Nice. And what's the schedule? Um... Right now, uh, we don't have, we're kind of in the Olympic break because our, our partner is NBC Sports. So they're covering all that. Um, and we, we race again in Nashville August 8th. So kind of a, uh, uh, I mean, our last race was July 4th. And there was supposed to be another race in Canada. Uh, but Canada obviously is in a tough spot with the whole COVID situation. So they had to cancel that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're going again in August 8th. So it'll be good. Do you think the Canadians are overreacting or it's just worse to, for them? I really have no idea. It seems a bit crazy, to be honest, since they're just north of the border. But I, I just I think no the farther north you go, the more intense it gets because uh, of the Canadians we know, it looks pretty crazy. They're like, you can't leave your house. We're going to shoot you. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's uh, it's pretty wild. I, um, I think Americans are like, you know, one of the definitions of an American is like pride upon freedom. And so, yeah. That's what makes America great. Can't break our stride. No, that's good. Correct. So uh, you guys have any, um, uh, you guys come out here to Circuit, Circuit of America, uh, the raceway out here in Austin? So we don't anymore, no. Uh, oh, we, we had it on the schedule last year, uh, and I'm not really sure what happened to it. I think this year, because it's normally like a March race for us, so they weren't really sure how many tickets they could have sold for this year because of what, what it was like in March. So they, uh, they basically didn't run it this year. I don't know if we're going to be back there next year. It just depends on how the track is doing and stuff like that. I'm not really entirely sure what the situation is, but formula one will be back there this year, which hopefully will be good. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, I mean, I like the track. I like code. I've raced there a couple of times, um, in sports cars and stuff like that. But, uh, and I just love Austin as well. I mean, Austin's a, a great city, tremendous city. It's a lot of fun. Hey, uh, for the people that don't know you, or more importantly, like know your progression in terms of racing, like like where did it all begin? How did it start? Was it like eight years old, dirt track, uh, go-karts, and then what was the progression? Yeah, so I, I started when I was 10. So I, I uh, my dad was a racing driver, uh, raced in Formula One, IndyCar, uh, sports cars, um, he grew up in Ireland and then moved, uh, well, came over to America in 1983 to try out the Indy 500 and, uh, and he never left. He met my mom at the racetrack. Um, she was working there uh, in radio and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, the year I was born, he basically retired. Uh, and after that, um, you know, he went into TV broadcasting. So TV broadcasting was the thing. I was still going to the racetrack all the time. I was at the Indy 500 every year since birth because I, you know, we were living in Indianapolis. So everything about racing was, um, kind of all I knew growing up. 
but I didn't know that I could do it. Uh, and it wasn't until our, our neighbor, oddly enough at the time, like asked my dad, Hey, like we got a go-kart for our kids. Like, can we, can we like use your help? And he was like, yeah, sure. And he asked me if I wanted to go. And then while I was out there, of course, I was like, Hey, can I like give this a shot? And, you know, from then on, it was, um, that was it. I, uh, you know, that's, that's really what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, we were, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple tracks here in Indiana. Um, you know, there was only one when I started go-karting, but then there was like a really nice one that was built like two years into kind of when I started go-karting. So, you know, we had some great options here in Indiana to, to start with. Um, and, you know, as you go, racing is like any other sport, really. If you're going to be a professional basketball player or a professional football player, you're probably going to start when you're quite young. You're going to play in middle school. You're going to play in high school. You're going to play in college. And racing kind of has the same type of progression. There's multiple years that you spend you know, when I started from age 10, you know, my first professional event, like in the IndyCar, like my first Indy 500, I was 21. So, you know, that's kind of like close to the end of when you're, you know, in your college years. Um, and, you know, up until that point, I'd gone through all the, you know, lower levels of the racing series, um, you know, won several of those championships kind of along the way um, and, and, and ended up, uh, you know, at the, at the top, which was, which was really, really cool. So, uh, it, it's, it's a long road and it's not a road that's really necessarily like broadcasted. Like we know basketball, college basketball, we know high school basketball, we know that stuff, but like racing people, all, all, all they see is really what's on, what's on television on Sunday. You know what I mean? You got NASCAR, you got IndyCar and you got Formula One. And, you know, people don't really, aren't really familiarized with, unless you go to the events and you see at these events, Hey, Oh, there, what are these other cars that are racing here? A little bit smaller, a little bit slower, but still great racing. That's kind of how it all you know, how it all goes and the progression up, up the ladder, as they say. Hey, um, the, obviously the difference between, uh, I mean, Indy and for, or Indy and formula one, both open wheel cars. Uh, what's the difference? I mean, uh, I think everybody's familiar with formula one, but where does Indy necessarily fit into the mix? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, everyone being familiar with formula one is something that we're, you know, we're trying to obviously like change. Cause like it is, it is very similar. Like we're, we're both open wheel cars. Formula one though is a world championship. So it's, you know, McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, uh, like all these massive high level manufacturers and they're spending $250 million a year. You know, our budgets are $6 million a year. So like it's a much, much different, um, arena. And, you know, in formula one, there's about two teams that can win an Indy car. Anyone can win because we all have the, you know, we all have the same chassis for, you know, competitive reasons. Um, you know, certain teams can develop certain things within the rules. There are some things that you can spend more money on, which is, you know, the, the, the diversifying factor in, you know, in, in teams and competition. Um, but realistically, you know, Formula One has, I would say a little bit more power and they're a little bit lighter uh, only because they don't race on ovals. You know, we have a, the most diverse schedule. We race on ovals, like big ovals, short ovals, street courses and road courses. So, you know, our cars have to be built to withstand, you know, impacts of 240 miles an hour. You know, they're, they're not hitting the wall ever at that speed. Um, so, you know, we kind of have to have that for safety reasons, which means our car is a little bit heavier um, to withstand those types of impacts. But, you know, top speed wise, you know, we'll, we'll go faster than they will, you know, on, on, a road, on, a, on, on our ovals. You know, at Indy, you know, we're doing 240 plus and, you know, in Formula, Formula One races, they're not doing that speed, you know, not even close to that speed. Um, so... It's, uh, you know, there's, there's a few small differences. You know, they have power steering. We don't. Our cars are much, much more physically difficult to drive um, than theirs. You know, they're doing a little bit higher G loads than us because they have more downforce, but that's really only affected, you know, for, for them with the neck and kind of core. But for us, like every part of our body is being challenged. So, 
Um, you know, there's a couple of guys from Formula One who just raced there last year who have come to IndyCar and they're like, this is the hardest thing we've ever done. <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's there's a few differences. They look the cars look similar for sure if you put put them side by side. Sure. Um, our competition, I think, is it's much much more difficult and much more intense. Um, but Formula One obviously has the luxury level, the uh, you know the the high class experience. Like oh my gosh, everyone's so opulence. Cool. Yeah, they all yeah they all, have, they all have Ferraris <laughs> and you know drive around on yachts. We don't. We're just American dudes that uh, you know go to the racetrack and uh, and drive faster than anyone else. <laughs> nice. Sounds pretty awesome. No, I mean it's uh, um, like I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan of open wheel racing. I mean, uh, but unfortunately, when you turn on the TV, it's always Formula One. I mean, if you're gonna and Netflix now. Well, I do. I I search for racing. Like I'll watch anything. Anytime somebody's going fast, I want to watch it. Like we were watching drag racing last weekend. And like uh, one of my, the buddy, um, I was just in Pennsylvania. I was at a conference on national security for the War College. And I went down to PA and visited one of my buddies who for about the last 18 years has been the fat, like he was in the IHRA, which is the naturally aspirated dragsters. And he had like the fastest dragster for about 10 years. You know, it's like 632 cubic inch motor. I mean, but like, you know, we were watching the big drags and uh, those guys got those crazy ass roots blowers. We're making 12,000 horsepower out of a 500 cubic inch motor, like which is just yeah. fucking mind boggling. You know, nitromethane. I mean, it's pretty intense and, uh, you know, flying down. So anything that looks like it's going fast, I'm in. So it's pretty interesting, but there's just doesn't seem to and maybe it's a money thing. Uh, like there isn't as much coverage unless it's the Indianapolis 500, which everybody, people probably look and they're like, oh, Formula One races the Indy 500. So I'm just wondering why the consumer is so uneducated. Is it just a money thing or people just not seeing it enough? I mean, there's a, there's a long 15 year story about how IndyCar lost the traction that we had in the late 80s and early 90s because it used to be just IndyCar and Formula One and Formula One drivers were coming over to compete in IndyCar for the Indy 500 because it's still the biggest event in the world over over any other race, over any other event, literally any sport. I mean, it's the largest attended sporting event in the world yeah. by by six figures. You know what I mean? So like it's it's still that, um, you know, that level. But there's a wild statistic now in our current era that like 96% of the audience that watches the Indianapolis 500 don't know that there's 16 other races in the season. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's only because in the, in the, in the mid nineties, the, the series IndyCar itself split powers thought that, you know, one, one, one side of the series wanted to go this side, one side of the series wanted to go this way. And it uh, obviously when two things, you know, when one sport splits like that, it kills everything mm -hmm. because people want to be entertained and certain fans are tied to certain drivers and certain fans want to support certain people. And there was just a lot of like hatred, like, oh, we hate like those guys, they split it up. So we, we're only, you know, we're only this side and like, we're only this side. And so that only came back. We only got reunited in 2008. And I, I always, I always said, cause I was just coming up. I won my first car championship in 2008 when the series had just come back in there. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is, this is what we need. Um, and you know, when the series both reunited, like our TV, like we were still on like verses, like it wasn't a great like TV package. Like no one was watching verses. Like we, we, no, you weren't, you're like, it was, it was just, I don't even know awesome. what that is. Ex exactly. Like <laughs> poor man, spike TV. Is it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Huh? Okay. It, used, it was like an outdoor network. You know what I mean? And so like, 
obviously the Indy 500 though, it was still on ABC, you know, it was a yeah. network event and that was great, but it really took a while um, to, to get things kind of rolling again. And I swear, I, I said at that time, I said, it's going to take 10 years minimum to get back to where IndyCar is, is becoming a powerhouse again. And realistically, 2018, you had Formula One drivers coming over again to compete in the Indianapolis 500. You had two-time Formula One world champion Fernando Alonso coming over. first The first Formula One driver in a long time, like current Formula One driver, to come over and try out the Indy 500. Uh, and he did not win. Like, he did not do uh, – he, he actually didn't even qualify for the race one year. Um, and I think that really showed people, hey, these, this is like – this is a really competitive series. This is, this is what we need to be paying attention to. And there's obviously, you know, a new network NBC deal that came into play. Um, things started really going forward. Our ratings were going the right way. Everything was going the right way. Everything's still going the right way now, which is awesome. And, you know, we've got several, you know, Formula One drivers in the field. You know, you've got Marcus Erickson, Roman Grosjean. You've got seven-time NASCAR champion Jimmy Johnson now in the field, two-time V8 Supercar champion Scott McLaughlin. Like, all the best drivers from the, around the world are coming to compete in IndyCar. And the fact that more people don't know that is, is, is very frustrating, honestly. But as they're starting to realize that, our, our ratings are continuing to continuing to go the right way. So I think right now um, everyone just either knows Formula One or NASCAR. And I don't know why. Is it is it money? Like, is it because F1 has a Netflix series? Absolutely. Like people only know of Formula One in America now because of the Netflix series. That's it. Like I've had so many people like come to me and say, wow, like, is this what you do? And I was like, well, no, but like, it's, 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 you know, it's similar. Like I was a Formula One test driver. Like, that picture over my shoulders, like when I was a Formula One test driver. And I was like, yeah, like I've, I've been there before, but IndyCar truly is something that um, it actually makes me angry that people either are like shutting it out because it's not na like NASCAR or Formula One, but like true drivers and like supporters of like motor racing and like competition realize like what we have going on here. And like, you know, we have like our races are not hard to find they're on network NBC. You know what I mean? Like on Sunday network NBC, like you put up your antennas on your little box here, TV, like you're going to find that channel. You know what I mean? So like it's, it's good, but not all of our races are there yet. So, you know, we've got half the season on network NBC and then next year now we have 75% of the season on network NBC. So nice. it's, it's going the right way, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely, you know, that's kind of a long story on, what IndyCar was, which was the absolute powerhouse, you know, all the big names, then it split, not great. And then now we're kind of coming back into an era where, I mean, it's the three powerhouses of motorsport, Formula One, IndyCar, and NASCAR. Are, uh, I mean, are sponsors still involved? I mean, um, you know, everybody knows F1. I mean, you got like, I mean, these huge, huge mega corporations spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to try to fight out these spots. Uh, is, um, you know, our American car company supporting uh, Indy? I mean, I know that was a big thing back in the day, in the, probably in the 70s, but I don't know necessarily if Ford Motorsports has an Indy program, and if they do, I'm just being ignorant about it. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, we have two manufacturers, Chevy and Honda, and they're, like, they're very, very supportive of the series. Um, they're working on a, on a third engine manufacturer as well because for us, like, our chassis is made by Delara, so it's all the same chassis. So everyone has the same physical car, um, and Firestone make the tires, and the engines are different. So you've got half the field with Chevy, half the field with Honda, and I think they're, you know, they're talking to another manufacturer for the, the next era of engine comes in 2023. 
Um, so more horsepower, hybrid technology, all that stuff. Um, so, so that's great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we also, when you look at formula one, there's 20 cars on the grid, 20, 22, if, if, if they're expanding, I don't even know if there's 20, yeah, there's only 20 right now. And, uh, at our next race, we have 28 cars on a road course. So like we have a lot of cars, a lot of teams, Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, um, McLaren, we have big names, big teams, um, you know, big sponsors, you know, my sponsors, the U S air force, We've got, you know, there's, there's companies like DHL, uh, Verizon, I mean, PPG, all, I mean, there, there is a lot of sponsorship support, which is great. Um, but, uh, but, but realistically, that is always our goal is to try to sell. We got to sell, sell, sell. We got to go up against, you know, if we're trying to sell a $6 million budget, well, how are we going to try to justify that up against a company who could potentially put that in the NBA or the NFL or like, what's 6 million going to get them in, in, in that arena? What's 6 million going to get them on TikTok? You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like you're gonna pay an influencer. Maybe what the fuck is TikTok? Exactly. I don't. The I don't future. Have oh yeah. No. I, oh, I, daily, you got to step your game no, up, bro. I'm, That's I'm with what you. I've been told. I had the same conversation that um, I was on a podcast earlier, and uh, I was watching this thing where I think it was like BD Gridiron was showing different NFL players doing TikTok dances as their end zone dances. I had no idea that there were like named dances that everybody on TikTok, and I just fucking flew over my head, and I was totally fine with it. Like I was like, good. I'm the glad, sprinkler. I'm what else? glad I don't fucking know this. And uh, a bunch flossing. Of, I can't imagine the harassment I would have given a dude in an NFL locker room who was doing TikTok dances. Thank God I didn't fucking. I was retired when that happened. I'm completely out on it. I'm completely. I'm like, look, I one app that I've said I will not download. I was like, you guys do your thing. And then now people are like, well, you're an idiot if you don't have it. And I'm like, ah, uh, I, I can't do everything. And yeah. uh, like, I don't, I mean, the bandwidth of just like being able to do all this, it's like, oh, well, here, I'm going to put my dances on TikTok and I'm going to put my pictures on Instagram and I'm going to, you know, rant for 160 characters on Twitter and then I'm going to update status on Facebook. Feels like a lot of fucking work. Well, speaking of work, Connor is, is it recommended like UFC where you got to build your brand outside. You got to, Start talking some trash. You got to gen up some some buzz. Dude, before you get into that, because uh, that's I think where this will go. Um, can you give me some technical specs on the cars, okay. like weight, size, motors, uh, like just educate me. I'm 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 into I weld and fabricate, and I'm into trucks and motors, and I build cool shit. So I'm always just fabric uh, like the the technical shit is what I kind of dig on. For sure, yeah. So we're. Uh, engine wise, it's 2.2 liter twin turbo V6, um, 700 to 750 horsepower, 750 with our, on road courses, we have a, a boost button for, you know, better racing. So we, we have the ability to use uh, 50 horsepower extra boost during the race for 200 seconds. So you can either use that to defend or attack. Um, and it's essentially like nitrous, like what you see in fast and the furious is very, very accurate. Like it feels like a lot of power immediate boost um because all you know with the twin turbo package um it's super easy electronically to just add boost and add power um so we the cars weigh uh 1600 pounds um so a little bit heavier than than a formula one car would be um but light when it comes to you know a nascar a nascar cup car is almost you know double maybe triple that weight they're they're probably three thousand pounds um and uh and yeah we you know a lot of aerodynamic grip uh, you know, several thousand pounds of downforce coming from the, from the wings. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much kind of the, uh, 
the general the general spec. Do you, do you guys uh, test any? I mean, is it like um, like wind tunnel kind of type of stuff where you guys are constantly working on down on uh, you know wings and different pieces to try to create more downforce? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. Thankfully, though, like that's the good part about IndyCar is is the cost limiting. You know what I mean? Like where you could spend a hundred million dollars a year on the wind tunnel, but there's really no point because the aero package is spec. So everyone has the same aero pieces. Everyone has the same wings. Everyone has the same, uh, you know, wickers you can put on the wings. Um, it's just a matter of how you want to run them. And everyone has a different opinion and you do go to the wind tunnel to find a few different things, um, which is, you know, that's all basically most important for the Indy 500 because the Indy 500 is we're going the fastest. You have to be the most aerodynamic efficient. And if you can find, you know, something very, very small there, uh, it's going to account for something massive in the long run. So um, that's where all the aerodynamic work is really done for is because is because the Indy 500 is our biggest event. It's the biggest prize money. It's the most points. It's the, you know, largest attention. So all the all the wind tunnel stuff is for that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's really down to the engine manufacturers as well. The engine manufacturers have a small window to work in, but they're still doing some of the smallest things when it comes to, you know, changing how the, you know, the tuning of the engine during shifts, you know, how do we, how do we work the, the upshifts to make it, you know, the most efficient possible? How do we generate, uh, you know, boost a little bit quicker, but controlled, you know, there's several things on the engine where there's no traction control. There's no, you know, limitations of any kind electronically, but, you know, Chevy can go in and tune how the boost builds to basically help us with traction. So it's not traction control, but, there's a lot of things that they do all the time to work on how to how do we go faster because when we show up in Nashville at our next race August 8th you know we're going to we're going to be looking for tenths of a second you know on, a, on the formula 1 grid p1 to p20 is probably 3 seconds 3 and a half seconds for us p1 to p28 is going to be 1.1 seconds you know what i mean so you're looking for the smallest of gaps um, and there are usually like 6 to 7 cars when you're like P4 to P10, all within the exact same tenth of a second. So it's very, very, very competitive. Is the platform of the motors the same? I mean, so like uh, Chevy goes and gets to make their 2.2 uh, twin turbo motor and then Honda does. I mean, do they have a general spec and then they work within or are they just like, hey, uh, you know, we're running, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know, multiple valves, more cams. I mean, I'm just wondering, if, is it based on cubic inches and they can design their own or uh, leaders or they design their own platform or does somebody sit down and be like, hey, we're going to standardize the platforms? Yeah, it's a it's a standard platform. It's it's pretty pretty well controlled um, only because, again, for, for cost limitation, right? The, the the All the adjustments that I'm talking about are just are very, very small. Yeah, and it's usually the with, the, with the electrical tuning of the, of sure. the car. Right? And, and so, I mean, so in a sense, and I know this is a terrible analogy, you could say that IndyCar racing is like the stock car of the open wheel kind of market. Um, I would, yes, but but even in NASCAR, like when you say stock car, like if you look at it again, there's only two or three teams that are going to win races. You've got guys yeah. that are driving around at the back of the field that are you know two to three seconds off. You know what I mean? So it's not. It's not even like that. I mean, and even those guys, if, if you truly look into stock car racing and NASCAR racing, I mean, there there is so much money being spent on chassis development. Like, yes, the over the body is a Ford body or the body is a Chevrolet body. The body is a Toyota. And those guys have developed a ton of aerodynamics 
in the wind tunnel with their bodies. But realistically, so much of their development comes from the chassis and what they've what they've found in the wind tunnel from the chassis. And so realistically, it's it's even more competitive and more locked down re regulation wise than NASCAR. And that's actually what NASCAR is going to next year with their new car. They're trying to make it more competitive. They're trying to make it more like IndyCar. They've actually got the designer of the IndyCar to make the NASCAR chassis, Delara. So like, mm. it's it's something that is um, basically what everyone is going to because we want to see like Amer everyone in America wants to see the most competitive stuff out there, right? And, and sure. if it's not as competitive as it could be, how do we make it more competitive? Well, there's also a difference. You have to be able to go right and left. They can only go left. Yeah, exactly. I that's, mean, they why they, that's why they probably struggle when they come over. I was wondering if you guys get NASCAR guys. I mean, Tony Stewart. Yeah, they can only go left. I mean, he's got to go right and left. I mean, he's ah. like uh, they're like Ambi Turners, like uh, Zoolander. Yeah, I mean, Tony. Tony was one of the best to ever live for sure, and he could do both. And um, there, you know, right now we've got Jimmy Johnson. You know, Jimmy Johnson's running full time in IndyCar, uh, and he has really struggled. He is he is having a very very difficult time um you know finding the speed on the road courses and you know nascar does two road courses a year but they do so many races that they get lost you know people don't really realize that they do road course racing right but two out of 36 races is not a lot so it's it's something that um you know i respect the heck out of jimmy for for doing because you know he went from being literally the best the most successful nascar driver ever to come into IndyCar and, uh, and almost qualifying last for every race. You know what I mean? So like, it's, it's something that is, is tough and he's doing a great job trying to learn, but it's, you know, when you're up against, you know, the field that he's up against, it's, it's a challenge without a doubt. And you dabbled in NASCAR a little bit. What, what was your perception when you went over there? Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I do, I've done one Xfinity race and two truck races. Uh, and, and I, I love it. I, I think it's very, very competitive depending on what, what car or truck you're in. Um, and if you're in a competitive truck, it's, it's great racing. And I love, I, I mean, I'll watch NASCAR every weekend. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll watch the truck races. I'll watch the Xfinity races. I, I love racing and I got a lot of friends in the field. You know what I mean? So, um, it's something that for sure, like I, I love oval racing and like, even though IndyCar and like my, I was born and bred on road courses. Um, I've really come to like oval racing. And so racing on the oval in the truck has been a lot of fun and, and I would love to do more, but you know, it's all, it all depends on, uh, you know, what, what sponsors want to do and what people want to, you know, what want to do with me. Mm. Okay. So building your brand tech. Sorry. So building, I got all, I, I got all my motor stuff out of the way. Oh, uh, I'm sure there's more in there. Well, uh, the, the only <laughs> other one, I mean, the, the only other thing is just, I'm amazed. Like, uh, like what's the tire with? Uh, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, cause, uh, like, I, I mean, dude, if, if, when, when you watch those things, like, I mean, the tires are so wide. I mean, you're basically like, strap between four tires and you have like you said manual steering and you're just like like quick little things i mean quick rate quick ratio boxes are fucking awesome connor what's your daily driver daily that's a pun so i oh, uh, he knows no I, I i i drive a chevy tahoe from the team so i don't have anything cool we drivers used to make a lot of money back in the day not as much anymore we're trying to get back to that point where i can get something really cool but i like my tahoe i like my tahoe <laughs> Well, we're Team Chevy over here as well. So yeah, we've been. Uh, oh. um, one of the kids that works for me, he he grew up uh, dirt track racing, and was pretty good at dirt track, and was getting kind of groomed to go into some NASCAR stuff, and um, ended up like I think it was like in 2002, 2008 when all of a sudden the market tanked. 
he was in this kind of like racing development deal and then just got out of it and started wiring cars and he works on uh, he works with joe martin but uh he's constantly sending me all these uh ex nascar uh stock cars that are retired on racing junk and uh he's like Dude, oh, yeah. we, need to, we need to get one of these chassis and then drop uh, some like you know VIN frame on top and just weld it all up and he's like we could go out and drive these on the street I'm like I'm in as long as long as it looks like really shitty and like multiple colors like junkyard camo where the like people like take their children and hold them tight like, that's the only way I'll do it I'm like it can't look nice it's got to be ratty no windshield we'll fucking go I mean I love that idea honestly I'm all for it if you need a teammate for that I'm okay. in <laughs> well the, there's a uh, there's a pretty funny deal on I forgot what it's called um but it's basically it's a drag race. Uh, he said it's like called like the no shit shine race, where you're ah. supposed to spend five hundred dollars, but you have to drive the car from like a starting point, like a hundred like a hundred miles to the racetrack. So you just can't have some purpose built deal. And then when you get there, you have to race. And uh, he sent me a link for it, and I was like, man, that is so in. Like just find ah. some fucking piece of shit five hundred dollar car have to drive it and then just go drag race the shit out of it i'd be in this this is not the gambler that's a different race no no the the gambler uh those guys are hilarious have you ever seen that like the gambler 500 no um, these, so these guys it started up in oregon as kind of like an interesting kind of like mixing of racing off-roading and trash pickup so the gambler's whole deal is like uh like you know they get pissed off that people camp and fuck up nature with all this like with trash so they have these gambler uh, rallies where these guys will just buy street like normal cars, do a little bit of modification, and then off-road the shit out of them on like uh, legitimate off-road trails, and then go out there and clean up and pick up a bunch of trash. Which, like, and it's hilarious. You'll see these dudes just literally just like yard sailing like uh, minivans and yeah. uh, like jacking up Miatas. Yeah, like 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 putting the Miatas on thirty fives and just launching these things, and then the dudes are out there picking up trash. <laughs> I'm like, it looks like a good time as long as we could, as long as we could drink some beer and barbecue, I'd be totally in on this. There you go. I mean, that's a respectful cause too. You're out there cleaning stuff. You know, it's, it sounds great. There's also, I don't know if you guys are interested in this though too. There's uh, basically this like, there's these 24 hour races that happen called the the 20. The, there's the 24 hours of Le Mans in France. The 24 hours of lemons. But then there's the lemons. Yeah. Yeah. Which is you know. Uh, one of the there. kids, one of the kids up the street from us um, that used to come and train, he and his buddies put a car together, and I welded on it. I, I had to fix some shit, and they took this like piece of shit Ford Taurus out there, and I think they might have actually complete uh, Aiden, yeah, uh, the kid up the road, yeah. Well, yeah. in Texas, Dave, what's that? Texas, Dave went in on that. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude, it's hilarious. I, I like. I think uh, anything that involves wheels and driving and racing and like something where you get to go out to the track, like. I think it's incredible. Me too. That's why I'm I'm hooked. It's my drug. That's for sure. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. Building your brand. Building your brand. <laughs> well, when did you start to see this this wave and shift? Were people recommending you start to hone your personality and turn it into your business and brand, or did you just feel I'm natural? I'm awesome. Everybody follow me. <laughs> You know, it's funny, man. I think I'll never forget the, uh, you know, the, the, the very first time, like you start to get into race cars from go-karts You know, I was, I was about 14. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of racing schools around there where you, you go to a three-day class, you know, you get in a very low powered race car, but they teach you kind of the basics of, of race car driving essentially. And, um, but they also, it was, it was called the Skip Barber Racing School at the time. And it's, it's still around now. They just kind of revamped it as well. 
Um, and, you know, back when we did that, you know, one of the, one of the classes that you took on that three day class was like how to talk to media and like how to talk to people and like how to do stuff and not say dumb things. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> I, I've never really had an issue talking, but there are a lot of people who like, who do. And like, you do, you definitely have to think about that stuff. And when social media like became a thing, then it was, you know, at first we kind of did it just for fun. And then you realize, well, you have to have all these social media accounts if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be a driver only to keep people up to date, like with what's going on, you know what I mean? And, and then, then it became something that you sell, you know what I mean? Well, like, well, it's like, well, how many followers do you have? And I'm like, well, I mean, I have this many, you know what I mean? And then, then now, I mean, now it's people are addicted to it. It's like people have jobs. I mean, there are way more 18 to 22 year olds with Lamborghinis than I've ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? Only because they dance around a little bit and are pretty good at editing on apps, which I respect. I'm like, I wish I would have done that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think for me, when I growing up in racing, like you couldn't really be yourself. You had to be very clean cut. You had to be very, uh, you know, couldn't say anything bad. Thank everyone, blah, 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 boring, 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 boring. And that was on my road to like formula one. Cause formula one, if you look at it, really, there's, there's not a lot of drivers getting out and punching each other after the races. You know I mean? No one's doing anything like that. It's all very like, Oh, well, you know, the team did a great job today and it's, you know, but, but, but it's, yeah, still, well, you know, when Ferrari's your sponsor, you know, I mean, like, yeah, those guys, I mean, like, yeah. Y- yes, but I, I think now it, I, I don't know, there, there's, there's a whole other way of, of looking at that. And it's basically like the, the European arrogance, right? Like for us, they just looked at me as an American <laughs> when I was over there and they were like, oh, well, you guys aren't meant to be over here anyway. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? Like, we're winning races over here. Me and Alex Rossi, like the only guys in the last decade to win, you know, F3 and F2 races and, you know, drive Formula One cars over there. But still they're like, yep, nope, you're not, like, you're not, not qualified. I'm like, all right, whatever. You know what I mean? And it's a very, very, like, just, there's no fun to be had in racing over there, honestly. Like, unless you make it to Formula One, I'm sure it's great driving, but like, everyone is just there to critique and criticize and it's it's just a really like just disturbing environment honestly from what after being in it but uh you know but in america like people crave entertainment and like people crave excitement and like if if why do you think nascar is so successful it's because some guys get out of their cars and throw stuff at each other and like if there was a lawn chair on pit lane someone would pick it up and beat the crap out of someone's legs with it after the race because they were upset at each other guess what ends up on sports center that you know what i mean and so that there's there's a lot of that stuff like i'm not saying that everyone needs to just fight each other but i'm saying you got to be exciting like you got to be you know you got to be willing to speak your not your mind you got to be willing to be personable and i think so many drivers get scared of doing that when they're younger i can even see it now with the younger drivers that are coming up like it's still that you know situation where all the team owners in indycar right now you know and all the team owners in you know formula one everyone is you know older and they're and they're used to Hey, you got to be this way. You got to be that way. But there's, you know, they're, they're slowly starting to understand, hang on a second. If we have people that are, you know, talented drivers, but also quite entertaining and have this, you know, following, maybe it works better for us. And I think we're getting there, but uh, it was something that I definitely fully embraced when I got back to America after Europe. And like, I, I, I just wanted to be myself. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing. I wanted to be competitive, which, you know, which we have been. And 
I also want to make people laugh and, you know, like I'll do, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. I like, I'm, I'm, I'll do anything for an adrenaline rush. You know, we were, I was at Travis Pastrana's house a couple of weeks ago and we jumped a convertible limo with a body of water in the back of it. You know what I mean? And that's going to end up on the internet at some point, not yet, but uh, you know, I'll do anything. And I like to, I like to, you know, have a great time doing it. And I think in IndyCar and all across the sporting world in general right now, you got to create content. You got to be, you know, putting stuff out there that people want to, you know, want to watch and want to, want to, want to be a part of. Would you call yourself the happy Gilmore of IndyCar? I don't know about that. (laughs) I mean, I, yeah, I don't know about that. I I mean, I would like to maybe think so, but um, yeah, who knows? We're starting something. Uh, You know what? Um, He just makes a great point. Like um, I think it, in today's access with social media and all this, uh, it's not just enough to do your job. Like I think before social media and and before like this, like 24 hour news cycle, you could go out and race and maybe they'd write a article about you in the local paper or I don't know, maybe sports illustrated would put something out. And that was really the extent. I mean, uh, now all of a sudden there's, you know, Barstool and CBS and NBC and there's Sports Illustrated. I mean, everybody has these different social media outlets. So they're constantly looking for stories. There's a 24-hour news cycle. People are checking their phones two to 400 times a day looking for things. And unfortunately, unless it's somewhat memorable, people just get lost in the shuffle. So I think it's, uh, it feels really fucking disingenuous and overwhelming that you honestly have to just like, you know, be the, uh, you know, turn the heat up on the dancing chicken all the time or, you know, over there at the monkey with the symbols where you're like, man, do I have to come on every single day? And it's like, are you not entertained? Uh, you know, and I think well, part, that's that's what you run into. There, But there's also something as well that I think, you know, another reason why you don't know about IndyCar is because I don't think enough of our drivers work at it enough. You know what I mean? Like, as you guys talked about earlier, it's hard work to keep up with all these apps. Like you got to do a lot to, you know, put something on Facebook, put something on Instagram, put something on Twitter, you know what I mean? And a lot of these drivers, you know, when when you like, when you made it back in the day, you didn't have to worry about that stuff. You know, there were people writing about the sport. There were people, you know, taking pictures of you, you put them on the internet, whatever. Um, but now a lot of people get their like information and news like from you directly. And like, if it's not that exciting or if it's not that, you know, electrifying, like then it's then like people are like, well, why am I going to watch this on NBC? You know what I mean? So a lot of our drivers really do have to get like, have to work harder at it. And it's not through any fault of their own, because like, honestly, like it takes already so much time to be focused and be learning and being the best driver that you can be both physically and mentally. Um, but you gotta, you gotta either have the right people around you to help you with the social content or you got to be willing to put the work in and 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 develop a, you know a plan to basically figure out why you know why we don't have 10 million people watching our race every weekend you know what i mean and until we get to that point where you know every driver at least within their you know within reason is um, you know is fully engaging with the community and fully engaging you know on social media but also you know heck do random tv shows if you want to you know i did the amazing race i did ran- I, I, i've done reality television you know trying to trying to help IndyCar, trying to do all that stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it, it will take work and people have to be willing to do it. How'd you finish in the amazing race? Uh, we finished fourth. We made it all the way to the last episode. What is the amazing race? Um, what is that one? We can walk the earth, meet people, get in adventures. Oh, kind of like Kane from Kung Fu. Uh huh. Oh, I like it. 
Was it rewarding? Basically, basically uh, 11 teams of two that start somewhere, and uh, all you have is a backpack, and you travel around the world for a month. And uh, each leg is, um, is a, well, it's a race, and each a team gets eliminated at the end of each leg. And, uh, you know, there are certain prizes along the way, and at the end, the winner gets a million bucks. Oh. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually watched the show when I was a kid. And uh, they've done 32 seasons, so it's it's Damn. been somewhat successful. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, uh, I must not be plugged in. I, I must not watch enough television. Like but to be poor- fair, I don't anymore. I, I like I don't I don't watch network. Like I I really like it's it's hard to go like you know it's a, if it's a Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Like I'm gonna be on Netflix or something like that. You know what I mean? No, I'm with you. I mean, Chris loves all the CW shows. So big Gossip Girl guy. Yeah. CW. Um, yeah, no, uh, my kids are obsessed with all like the superhero stuff, like uh, the, the Flash. <laughs> we've watched Green Arrow. We've watched. I mean, like if there's like a CW superhero show, we've watched it, and it's like Superman and Lois, right? Oh, uh, they love it, dude. They're they are, and like uh, the problem is, is and I, do, do you have kids? Oh no, very very single and very very alone, which uh, is okay. great. I'm happy. <laughs> <sighs> Fuck you, damn it. <laughs> uh, just know when you have kids, you have to basically choose a show that picks to the lowest common denominator. So I got uh, my twin girls are nine, my little boy's five, and so we have to watch shows that are like okay for the five-year-old to watch. So I was like, oh, let's watch this Army of the, of the Dead. Like, this should be great. And it's like, no, we don't get to watch that. So <laughs> I pretty much haven't seen anything other than like, uh, like the most violent we get is like The Flash. And even then it might be a little, I'm like, oh, this is awful. So I don't even watch TV. I mean, that's that's the current era you're living in. You know what I mean? You got to. I know, gotta, dude. And this guy's over here is like, I'm single, it. alone, and happy. And I can watch Jumping whatever shows. I can watch whatever shows I want. I can watch Army of the Dead. Connor, you mentioned top of your mental and physical game. Let's get into some preparation, physical preparation, and then get into the mental side of things. Walk us through workout routine, training that you're currently doing. Yeah, so I think the... The most interesting part about racing is I think it's the most highly underrated physical sport out there. Um, I know back in the day, like my dad, when he raced in Formula One, there wasn't a lot of technology to track, you know, physical data, you know, in the the late seventies, early eighties. Right. Um, And they had, uh, my dad actually had at the time a heart rate monitor attached to him for one of like the Formula One races. And the doctors at the time had like looked at that data and they were like, this is, like this is ridiculous this is insane there's no way like it's you know this high for this for this long um and i i i still think to this day uh there's there's like a fact that you know for for a a sustained amount of distance only competitive cyclists like in the tour de france have as high of a sustained heart rate for as long of a period of time um and you know i wear this whoop wristband now oddly enough that like tracks my heart rate during every race because it's very easy to wear like it you know, some people like it, some people don't, but a lot of the drivers actually wear them now, and it's pretty accurate uh, for in the race um, for some reason, uh, and it's very, very easy to wear for us. So, like we, we've been, I've been tracking races now for two years, and you know, it's it is wild the amount of data. Every time I put the screenshot of what we're, you know, what what my heart rate was during the race, um, the entire time. I mean, it's you're at maximum attack. You're at you're at your you know, highest heart rate zone for two hours, for three hours, you know what I mean, during the Annapolis 500. So for those uh, of you listening, it's usually 220 minus your age. How old are you? I'm 29. So he's 29, 220 minus that would be 191. So you're basically 190 for two hours straight. 
we are I, I i mean i could even show you it's 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 170 to mid 180s for the for the for the whole race essentially so it's uh very very high level um and it's you know something that again we don't have power steering right so when you get in your car and you're turning the wheel it's very very simple power steering formula one power steering nascar power steering indycar no and it's also now it's about 145 degrees in the cockpit so we're losing you know, I've lost up to 16 pounds after a race, um, you know, of, of water weight because of how hot it is in the car. Um, so, you know, a lot of us uh, train like triathletes, essentially, but uh, with a lot more you know, strength involved, you know, high intensity circuit training, um, a lot of stuff that we're, you know, we've developed purely for kind of driving where, you know, there's there's a steering wheel type situation that you're also being pulled on with an iron neck situation because you're working your neck muscles, you're working your core, everything at the same time. Um, because everything is being pulled on at, at the same time. And, you know, even your legs, you know, we're hitting the brake pedal with 1400 PSI pressure, uh, you know, hundreds of time during, times during the race. Um, there's, there's just so much going on physically and then also a massively high level of information that you got to process mentally. Communicate with your team, figure out what's going on in the car, make some adjustments in the car if you need them. Um, so there's, there's stuff that people don't really think about because when you see us on the track, you know, it's like, all right, well, they're just, you know, they're, they're driving, they're, they're doing their thing. Um, but when you actually look at the data and, and, and see things like that, you know, we had a double header, you know, race uh, in Detroit this year. Uh, and Detroit's a very, very difficult physical street circuit, very, very hot, um, you know, driver, like we were, like it's, it's insane hot. Uh, and, you know, when, when I look at both of those days combined, you know, that's a 9,000 calorie two day situation. I mean, it's like you're burning, 9,000 calories over two days, which is pretty solid, I feel like. Um, and and it's just, it's something that, you know, after one race, it's like, all right, well, we got another one on Sunday. So get an IV, like get, get all sorted out, try to figure out, you know, how to prepare your body again for another battle. Honestly, it is like a battle. I, I always compare it to like a true, a true fight that your body is going through every race. And it's, it's like really satisfying to make to the end, honestly. And so, you know, I, I have a trainer here in Indianapolis that I've trained with for a long time, you know, St. Vincent Sports Performance. They've worked with a lot of the Olympic athletes, a lot of, um, you know, NFL guys, NBA, uh, a bunch of people you see in there all the time, which is really, really cool. And um, they work with a lot of different drivers. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really two times a day every day. You know, I was there for an hour and a half this morning at the gym, and I'll ride my bike probably for another hour and a half, two hours this afternoon uh, after this. So it's something that um, – you really, really got to stay up on. And, and this year, especially for some reason, this year has definitely been the hardest year physically to drive the cars um, because of some of the additions to the to the car safety wise, a little bit of added extra weight um, on the chassis itself. So there's a lot that people just don't understand until you paint the picture for them. And it's something where like you can't go out on the interstate and drive 200 miles an hour or 180 miles an hour without power steering. You just can't do it. I can go outside and throw a football and know that I'm not going to play in the NFL. And I know that I'm not going to be able to take a hit from a 300 pound human being and not break all of my limbs in my body. You know what I mean? So like, it's something that I, I always tell people, if you can go indoor go-kart racing, you know, it's a very, very, very simple, go to K one, go to, you know, any, any place that has indoor go-karts that are, you know, 30, 40 miles an hour, do 10 minutes in one of those things. Cause they don't have power steering. And if you're somewhat fast in one of those, you're going to start to sweat and you'll be like, oh man, like I'm breathing hard. Like what's going on here? And that's, I was like, take that times a thousand. And then you'll kind of realize maybe a little bit of like what's, you know, what's going on.
I was wondering if any of our listeners have ever owned or driven a car that had manual steering. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's tough. Right here. Uh, right here. I, yeah. I, I have a 49 Mercury that I used to drive with the three on the tree and the flatty with manual uh, manual brakes and manual steering. Mine's just out. Well, yeah, 86 you, you, <laughs> Chevy K30. Yeah, you got to put fucking <laughs> fluid in the steering reservoir. And it's like, I'm hey. seeing him cranking it. And he's like, it's not working. I'm like, well, your my heart rate's empty. jacked. <laughs> yeah. 60 he's miles like, an hour. I'm working on my forearms. So what about food? Like, what about, uh, you know, like, obviously you're just uh, like, you know, going through liquid and probably just expenditure. But like, how is the food? Are you able to eat during that? Or are they giving you some goos, gels? I don't know, something. Um, so during the race, we have nothing. So, um, you know, I, I, on race weekends, like I have type one diabetes as well. So it's a little bit of a different, uh, you know, different situation for me, but, um, I always keep everything the same on the weekends, like pasta, vegetables. Like I, I don't, I don't eat meat at the moment. I, I only eat fish. I kind of like, I've been rolling towards the pescatarian thing for some reason. I was vegan for a little while. Didn't I like decided I like sushi sometimes. So I went for it. Uh, and, and yeah, so like I, I keep it pretty simple, um, but during the race, yes, all you have in the car for two to three hours is a drink bottle. And you know, for me, that has to be like a, a little bit, some sugar, some water, like you know, just because of the diabetes thing. If I need sugar, boom, there we go. We get some Gatorade in there, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, there's there's nothing that you have. You know, we the only rest periods that we have during the race are the seven second pit stops that we have. You know what I mean? And sometimes there's two stops. Sometimes there's you know three stops. At the Indy 500, it's our longest race. There's six pit stops, um, but uh, but yeah, realistically, there's no way to uh, refuel your body while you're in the race. <laughs> so, how do you manage the insulin for like the uh, you know like the the fasting piece of it? Like, do you use like a long acting uh, insulin for like that bolus, and then you kind of like dose on the other side of it, or like you know what is the you know do you do you, you know because I'm sure. What what do you use? Is it like a long acting, short acting, medium acting? Like, how do you like give me your strategy? I'm a little curious on that. Yeah, so I have a long acting and, a, and obviously a, a fast, uh, fast acting insulin as well. Um, and, and for me, it's 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 actually pretty simple. I, and everyone's body's different, um, but I, it's all about preparation for me. There's there's I monitor my blood sugar in the car with a with a CGM constant glucose monitoring system. So like I see where it's going, but. I'm convinced adrenaline cures all problems in your body. I'm convinced during a race, I don't have diabetes because my body's working so hard to prevent me from dying in other ways that it's like the diabetes thing is actually not, not too difficult to worry about. If I know where I'm at before the race, I know exactly where I'm going to be after the race. And I, I, I don't know if that's the same way for everyone else. Um, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm super, super, um, dead. Like I wouldn't say like, I guess dedicated. Yeah. But like, I just pay attention to it. Like I, I'm not someone who like messes around with like, ah, oh, it's going to be fine. Like I pay attention to it all the time. It's on my phone right there before the race, know where I'm at. I have Gatorades at the car and I have water in the car. If I need, you know, sugar, we go to Gatorades. If I don't water, it's fine. So, um, so for me, it's, 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 it's just all about preparing the days before the hours before. And, you know, I always eat the same meals before the race all the time. And I usually always eat them, you know, the same amount of time before the race too. So it's just a little bit of game planning. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. On your on your social, you're very active. Like I'm checking out some of your your photos here in your indie car that says "tired of pricks." <laughs> so, and you you put together some race for some type one diabetic children, man. So what's what's the fight there for your your desire to give back? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, the diabetes journey has been really interesting for me. At first, it was something that no one, uh, no one ever talked about when I was growing up. Like, I got diagnosed when I was fourteen, and no one—I had never heard of anyone else with diabetes. I didn't even know what diabetes was. What was um, the mechanism for it? Did you get sick, or just randomly? I mean, what... so I, I I lost a ton of weight and was like just thirsty all the time, and like yeah, the, it was uh, just ketoacidosis. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was something that it was like. I didn't get sick, but I was just like, oh, this is weird. You know what I mean? Was and there something, was there something leading up to it? Did, uh, like, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've read everything from like stress to, uh, you know, to illness to, I mean, like, it's pretty interesting when you look at the different mechanisms cause they're kind of all over the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I haven't really been asked that before. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really know. My dad's convinced the flu shot gave me diabetes, but like, I also have no idea if that's true or not, but, uh, but it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, just kind of have, we have no family history of it either. So, uh, I think it was just kind of one of those random roll the dice, uh, sorry, you're screwed type of thing. But, um, you know, it didn't really, didn't really bother me at first. I was like, all right, whatever. We were racing the next weekend. As soon as I was out of the hospital for two days, like, we're at the go-kart track the next weekend. You know, I had all the tools I needed. I had the medicine, whatever. And I said, all right, here we go. So, um, so it was something that like, I guess my, I, I, it all depends on your mindset, right? Like if you're, if you're willing to understand what it takes to live with it, then you can, it's, it's, it, you really do have the tools to live with it. Is life more complicated? Absolutely. But you don't not have the ability to do it. It's just convincing yourself in your brain that you like, you just have to do this to live. And like, you can live a normal life. You can eat what you want, essentially, as long as you're, you know, doing, giving the right amount of insulin for it. But I obviously try to eat healthier because it's much easier when you eat healthier than well, when we'll you be, don't. I, I, I can't the, just hammer. Yeah, dude, it's uh, like the numbers are pretty interesting with like the, um, um, just background, uh, my little boy got diagnosed with type one about four months ago. Okay, he's five years old. So, dude, we've been in this fight for about four months, and it's pretty interesting. As I was pouring through all the research, the people that follow like the ADA standard recommendations um, run into some serious problems because they're in this constant deal. But I also wonder if like people are mismanaging it and like, hey, like I'm gonna you know go out and eat pizza, but then I got jack myself with 18 IU's of Humalog, and it's just like, I mean, so we've been managing it pretty well for him with just a low carb diet to the point where he hasn't even taken insulin in about four weeks. See, that was what I was told still isn't good. Like I was told like if you can, you know, if you eat like just purely vegetables or low carb and stuff like that, like I was told your body still needs insulin to function. So like have some Gatorade and give some sure. insulin for that. But again, like I think there's a ton of people, you know, especially and on the internet now you can find a hundred different ways to do things, right? So sure. like it's it's interesting. And I I would say for me for sure personally, I discover you know, over the years I have figured out, okay, my doctor wants me to do this, but my body, you know, reacts this way. And it really is more of like a, a game of just adjusting as you go, right? Like I know what insulin does to me. I know how much of what insulin will do, you know what I mean? And if there's needs to be more insulin, like I'm not afraid to use it because realistically you have the insulin there. And if you're eating something, and you're you're afraid to give more insulin well that's that that shouldn't be the way it is because your blood sugar will just go high right so like yeah. i i think the the best thing the best addition for me honestly has been you know the cgm you know the, the constant glucose monitoring system that's been you know i use a dexcom g6 yeah. and that thing is 
I couldn't live without it nowadays. It's always yeah. on my phone. Like, and you as a parent, you could always have it on yeah, your phone. Yeah, no, we, uh, dude, uh, yeah, my, my little boy got it from day one. Um, oh, yeah. I wear, I, I wear one too. So, uh, just cause I was curious to know how my blood sugar lined up and then I could eat things and see how they responded. And oh, I was, it was pretty interesting. Like I figured out that like, uh, you know, stuff like just basically like some berberine or even just a few different supplements, like. I can try to spike my blood sugar and if I'll take like some berberine or uh, alpha lipoic acid or some other stuff, dude, it like tanks me, especially if I take it with like B vitamins. So I just started kind of playing with it and I'm like, I wonder if I could like spike, how high I could spike myself. I wonder like if I could take something and so I just started kind of plotting it. But for him, uh, he's pretty good, man. Like his blood sugar is somewhere consistently between like, I mean, 84 and like 103, 110, 121. And then he actually, when he eats, he comes down himself. So when he got diagnosed, um, he was in ketoacidosis and like lost a bunch of weight and you're like, Oh shit, this is either cancer or diabetes. Thank God it was yeah. diabetes. Um, but when we got him out, we, we got him a glucose meter and when all the tests came back, his body was still producing insulin, but out of the four markers, only two were positive and one of them was borderline. So they were like, well, his, uh, his beta cells are still working. So he's still producing it. He's just having trouble controlling, but eventually they, those will die. And yeah. I remember thinking like, well, wait a minute, why? And the doctors were like, well, we don't know why. And I'm like, yeah. so wait a minute. Like, if you go read about this, the ancient, uh, uh, the ancient Greeks talked about diabetes. They called it like wasting disease. And people would just die in like a, a pool of their own sugar pee. And like, all, I'm like reading all this historical stuff. I'm like, so we've known about this for thousands of years. And you guys still don't understand the mechanism. So I, I dug in, read a ton. But like, it's pretty interesting with like the, uh, the fasting, like the basal bolus, using like Lebomir and the long acting to kind of make sure that he's, you know, when he's not eating, he's normal. And if he comes up and if he needs it, but for the most part, he's been managing it pretty well, but he never really ate carbs anyway. Uh, yeah, he was I mean, just not really a big carb eater. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I wasn't either. Like I, I was, I was trying to be a race car driver. So like I was, I was at the gym. Like I had a trainer when I was 12 and you know, I mean, that's way before I got diabetes and we were trying to, you know, eat healthy, do all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that like, everyone deals with it differently for sure. And I still, I agree with you completely. I'm like, how have we not figured this out yet? I'm not really sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's, there's, there's been so much more that's like, you know, the, the, the car that you talked about, are you tired of pricks, right? Like well, our, our partner there, like mankind, they, they have been so great on, you know, coming up with, with new, new ideas, new therapies. And I mean, I use, I use a Freza myself and it's inhalable insulin, right? And for me, like, it's been the best thing ever because it's the fastest acting insulin in the world. And like, for me, I just carry around my little inhaler with my pods of insulin. And anytime I need it, it works in like 10 minutes. And it's like, boom, wow. right away. And so like, that's, that's something for me that is that has like changed my life for sure. Uh, you know, I have my my 24 hour acting insulin as well. But, uh, but that's something that I think like if I would have thought of that, like if I, if I would have known that I wouldn't have had to give, you know, you know, six, eight shots, whatever a day uh, when I was like 16 or 18, I wouldn't have. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do anything. You know what I mean? For that. But, um, you know, it's still fairly new. It's obviously like they're going to hopefully have it for kids in the next, you know, next year or two, which would be awesome um, because I think it's been great for me. And um, it's something that. Uh, I'm learning more about every day. Like I, I, even me, like I've had diabetes for so long now, but it's, it's something that, uh, every, every person's journey is different. And I wish, uh, you know, it was easier, but I mean, I'm still having a great time with life, honestly, doing whatever, you know, whatever, whatever I want to do. Um, 
training hard, uh, partying hard as well. And, uh, you know, and, and it all, you know, it all works. So you're over there doing the math. You're like, all right, if I know there's X amount of carbs and this many beers, how much do I have to pre? And then you start timing it up. But, uh, at least that's the way I was thinking about it. I was like, I wonder if you got to actually figure this equation out. Uh, no, I don't do numbers anymore. I don't, I don't do math. I, I, I know like me personally, like, I know what's going to affect me and I know what's not, you know? And, and like, I know if I, if I go out and have, uh, you know, pizza, it's the worst, right? Like I know that pizza is going to take a lot of insulin right up front and you're going to need some more, you know, a little bit later too. And it's going to last a little bit longer, but, um, realistically, for me, I've, I, I don't, I've not asked for a number of carbs in anything in 10 years. You know what I mean? Because So like, what do you do? do? Do you just look at it, the number where it's like, hey, I know uh, like this dose drops me this much. So then if I'm here, this is kind of how I calculate it? Exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, it, it, unless something's hiding in a meal, you know what I mean? It's, it's all, a lot of it's pretty much the same. You know what I mean? If you're going to have fries with your salmon or whatever you're going to like, fries are going to do a certain amount to your body. You know what I mean? And like, it's it, for me, when I look at my CGM and this, like the insulin that I use, this is my insulin right here. I have it in my little bag, but like, it's, it's, looks it's like so, a vape. It's really just it, it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A little, little vape yeah. thing. Yeah. And, um, it, for me, it's, it's, I don't like, I have a number that like, okay, per this many carbs, it's one unit of insulin, right. Or one unit of insulin. And I'm like, okay, I have that in the back of my head. But like, it's not that hard. Like, it, like food, like it's that. Yes, every food is different, and everything that you eat is going to be a little bit different when it comes to carbs and like that. But realistically, you have the tools. Like, I, I have the tools to to adjust for it. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I've been maybe my body is is a little bit different, and there's a little bit more consistency in there. But like, I've tuned up how my you know my 24 hour insulin works. Like. I've either used more of that to make it more steady throughout the day for my fast acting. You know, I'm, 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 I'm like an engineer with this whole diabetes thing. Cause like I try to figure out how to be a better driver. Well, I also want to try and figure out how to make diabetes easier. So I think everyone's different. And I wouldn't necessarily say that like I would have the best way encouraged by a doctor to live life. But like, I tell you what, I don't have any problems. <laughs> what's your, uh, what's your target number are you shooting for? I mean, 80 to 110 that's that's what that's where that's where we're living you know what i mean and i'll probably be on the lower end of that too most of the time around like 60 to 75 but for me that's kind of where i where i like to be at i'd say 60 65 is a little too low but uh i'm not necessarily in peril when i'm when i'm that low so um you know i i, I think even up to 150 uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, now you're getting a little bit high, but I'm, I'm, I mean, my, my A1C is like 6.7. So like, it's, it's pretty solid for, for what it is for an adult. And so I'm not necessarily too upset about it. Yeah. Uh, for those of you guys listening, um, if you get your A1C done, anything over 5.7 is considered diabetic. And then anything leading up to it, they call pre-diabetic unless you're diabetic. And then it's a little bit different. Like my little boy's pretty much consistently been like five, four. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, but he, uh, it, it's really pretty interesting because the way that you're doing it is the way that I did it, or at least I do for him. Uh, all we did was uh, figure out, like, hey, this is how, my, how many points Humalog pulls him down. And, like, the Levomir, which is the long-acting, this is what it kind of does. And then we just basically do the equation. I'm like, well, if, he's, if he ate 
and he's at 120, it, does he come down naturally and we kind of wait? And if he doesn't, then you hit him with a little bit, he comes down and then you try to level him out. And I'll give him like a little bit in the morning to kind of stabilize him over the course of the day and sometimes a little bit before bed night. And then we just kind of play with it. But, um, you know, as long as I just monitor it. But he's also five and weighs, what, 55 yeah. pounds, 54 pounds. So, like, 30 grams of carbohydrates, which people would freak out at for him, is like one of his cookie bars or a granola bar or whatever he has. Yeah. And so it's just kind of different. Whereas you talk to adults, um, the one that kind of tripped me out was when they were, we were in the hospital. They were recommending that he should have 50 grams of carbohydrates per meal. And That's I a was lot. like, That's a ton. And I even said to him, I'm like, dude, he doesn't eat 50 grams of carbohydrates in a day. And the lady's yeah. like, no, 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 you got to dose them. And, uh, I'll, and I'm like, dude, there is, like, I'm telling you, like, here's his standard diet. I'm not going to change his diet to this super high-carb diet. Uh, I'm going to find a way to work with what, whatever he wants to eat. Give me a number. And they were like, couldn't give me a number, so I just picked 84. I was like, 84 is his number. That's what I'm going to try to get his number to. Standard deviations. And we use this thing. I think it's called, like, sugar, not sugar mama. But it's like an app that kind of gives us, is able to kind of calculate this stuff in real time. And uh, he's just super rece- receptive to it. Like we'll get up and um, uh, like calibrate his, uh, his Dexcom every day and mm-hmm. he pricks his finger and, you know, knows how to do it. And he's, uh, he's super involved, but he's a sharp little kid, man. And I think like, um, like you said, if you can figure out a system for you to manage it and you can continue to train and be, you know, active, but we're, we're here in Texas, so it's fucking hot as shit. So I know yeah. when he goes out and plays, like we played in the pool and it was super hot the other day and man, he spiked. He was like at 150. So I was like, we yeah. got to get out of the pool, cool down a little bit and I'll give you a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it will get harder. I can promise you that. Cause like, I oh. remember like when I, when I first got diagnosed as well, like you like your body changes. Right. And like, it's, you know, it, 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 it will get harder. And I, like, I, I do, you know, I think everyone's got their, their way of handling it, but like, that's like, that's a strong, like what you, what you're doing is definitely awesome. I mean, like that's to, to, to start out that I can't even imagine having diabetes that young. So like I was 14, like I was like, you know, I knew what was going on. I knew what, you know, what, what was happening, but uh, you know, I was also very, like very self, like very independent. So like, I, I didn't want any help with it. You know what I mean? And, and so, you know, now like, like as as adults like six to seven is where my doctor's like yeah six to seven a one c like that's like that's your living life fine so mm-hmm. you know if you're in the fives like yeah that's i mean that's that's even better but is, uh, uh yeah is uh um did you have a bunch of issues like uh I, I keep reading about like um as kids go through puberty all of a sudden it's like trying to hit a moving target a lot of times and like they were talking about like uh you know hormones and as this affects so I try to, like, for the last four months, man, I think I've read just about everything I could on this. Yeah. Just because, uh, I mean, he's five years old. So, like, trying to sit down and explain this to him. Like, you know, we went out for sushi last night. And, uh, like, I was, like, getting him uh, hand rolls without the rice. Because I was like, man, like, white rice is, like, the biggest spiker on glycemic index. Yeah. Like, they, like, he'd be 300 by the time we left that place. So, like, getting him to do, like, uh, um, hand rolls without rice and like trying to like, I got hand rolls too. And so like what I'll do is I'll be like, hey, um, if you don't get carbs, I don't get carbs. Like whatever you eat, I'll eat. And uh, we just kind of tag team it. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, at, uh, at this point in my age, I'm not crying about not having carbohydrates that often. <laughs> I'm like, whatever you get, I'm like, that's what I get. So, uh, and then like, we got the glucose meter. So we're like, dude, we wear them too. Here they are. And so this idea of like, oh, well, dad does it too. It's, it's okay then. It's been like a big thing for me. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I, I, I think that's awesome. I, I was... I never really had anyone like that. So like, 
I only ever knew like one of like when I went to high school, like I only knew one other person in my high school with diabetes and like she did a terrible job. Like she was like <laughs> taken like to the hospital like twice in high school because like her blood sugar was soaring through the roof. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, I, I feel like we have the same thing and like I am okay. And like, I just, it's, it's just, it just depends on how you do it. Like it yeah. just depends on how you mentally approach it. And like, I talk to kids all the time. And I'm like, you know what? You can do whatever you want in your life because like, you really can but it's going to take a little bit of work. And, but if you're prepared to do that work, then you know what, there's nothing that's going to stop you. So it's, it's something that like, I'm glad that he's got you for sure. Cause that's, you know, that's, that's awesome. I think having, you know, having that type of teamwork, right. Is going to make it seem much more normal, much more easy. And, um, and a lot of the times that's what kids want to feel is like, Hey, like I'm not this, like, I'm not, I'm not this outcast of like, Hey, I've got this weird disease. It's like, no, like, we're all just still people, you know what I mean? There, uh, we went to his last endo appointment. Um, there was another girl, uh, probably about eight, uh, maybe younger, like three years old. The mom showed up pulling her in like one of those like foldable wagons that you take to the airport. Uh, the little girl was so heavy she couldn't walk. Yeah. Yikes! And so the mom was heavy too. So she like wheels her in, and like we see them go in, and like so we were talking to the doctor later, and he was like, "Well, you know, like this is great. He's doing fine. He looks super fit." Like went through everything and he's we were like talking about his diet and he's like well on contrast i have a, a child in the other room uh who only wants to eat you know basically cookies and this and this and we're just trying to manage whatever she wants to eat and uh i was like you mean a little girl and he's like yeah she's uh packed on a lot of weight she, she's not moving very well and i'm like holy shit like like where's that intervention where it's like you know what like there's a different way to attack this thing and just allowing a three-year-old to select whatever they want and then just dosing with high amounts of insulin seems insane to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right. It, it, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I had to completely eliminate a lot of stuff from my diet. You know, like, did I enjoy an occasional cookie? Yes, absolutely. Pizza is my favorite food. I live across the street from the best pizza place in our city, literally across the street. And, like, I, have, I, I was like, look, I'm limiting myself to going to this place once a month at maximum. You know what I mean? And, like, I'll, I'll even, I'll only have a couple slices of pizza, right? I'm like, all right, look, I know, I know what I'm going here. But even if I do, I make sure that I've ridden 40 miles on my bike just before that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's something yeah. that is, it's all an equation for me, as you mentioned. Like, I'm like, boom, workout. All right, perfect. That's great. Uh, do like salads all day, right? Like I'm, right now I'm only eating like salads because like I had a pretty aggressive summer break. Uh, our last race is July 4th. Had a you know good couple weeks and enjoying life a little bit and now I'm like all right we're back to the grind for the next two weeks leading up to the race so like it's uh you know all that stuff is just kind of a, an, an equation for me and like once you get back to like the oddly enough when you're working hard and you're like putting in a ton of effort and you're training and like and and focusing on you know drinking water instead of uh, beer you know what I mean like. It's amazing how much easier it is to manage uh, manage your blood sugar. Like if you're if you're just eating terrible things all the time, well, diabetes becomes much harder. <laughs> sure. Well, and also uh, non mediated non mediated glucose uptake, which is uh, as you exercise, the body creates some really bitchin' pathways, and all of a sudden that actually lowers your blood sugar. So like having like a big aerobic base and doing aerobic exercise. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Um, I have a, a salt bike in our house, and uh, I've actually like eaten something I knew was going to spike me. And then like looked at it and then jumped on the bike and within 20 minutes I can get it right back to where I want. So that's like the age old like after dinner go for a walk do something aerobic. I mean you know it's it's basically the Thanksgiving rule. If uh, you stuff yourself Thanksgiving on the rule rule oh 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah, like like that's part of our deal. Like on Thanksgiving, we always have to go out. We always would have to go for like a 20-minute walk after Thanksgiving. And I asked my mom why, and she's like, because you guys would go fall asleep on the couch, you lazy fucks. Yeah, walk after your nap or no? <laughs> yeah, exactly, before. She's like, you're going to eat that much food. You got to go walk around the block a few times. And uh, I always could just call it the Thanksgiving rule. And then I figured it out or I learned about it in physiology and was like, God damn, my mom was smart. <laughs> she had talked shit to us about it all the time. But yeah, it's, uh, it's really been interesting uh, as a parent for it because um, uh, especially with like the internet, I can't even imagine like pre-internet where people would have got their information. But it's really pretty fascinating how like there's different camps and thought processes on this. And uh, the endo we go to is really good. It's like whatever your child, like within reason, but like what is your child going to eat? And if that's what they want, and I'm like, he likes a high protein diet. He doesn't like a ton of carbs and he likes salads. And they're like, great, feed him exactly that. And then just kind of dose uh, appendently and you'll figure it out. Uh, the worst though is uh, laying in bed and then like all of a sudden, like the alarm will go off on the uh, Dexcom. And you could be at like 74 at like two in the morning and you're like, oh, and you're like watching it fall and you're like, all right, get up. We got to, you know, it's um, Smarties or, or maple syrup. I mean, trying to get him back in and it's uh, it, it's like this constant game because at the end of the day, he's five. He, he doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's just like knows yeah. his thing is beeping and dad, mommy and daddy are waking him up, jamming something down his throat, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I up, upstairs in my bedroom, got the little uh, nightstand there, first drawer is uh skittles airheads and basically any type of candy because like realistically the 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 most the most difficult thing for me sometimes is uh is going low at night right and so like if uh you know if i hear the alarm for sure it's like all right here we go gonna need some of this stuff um you know to to help out which is you know which is fine but that's again although it sounds weird like candy is a tool to help right like it's it's not something that you eat all the time like you're gonna need it like you're gonna need those sugar sugary things sometimes and like I don't eat candy ever, but the only time I do, like I need it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's something that, um, you know, you just have to have to be ready for and you can do it. However, you know, you can do it multiple different ways, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think I, I understand the being low at night thing. Definitely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. And then like, of course it like, and then it, like you, you give it and it kind of keeps trailing it and you're like, Oh, please come back up. And then like, you know, I got the glucagon pen and you're like, man, I don't want to jack him with this thing. And then he'll come back up. So it's uh, it's been interesting. When uh, when you're in the car, man, and you're two hours in the fight, and it's 145 degrees, what does the blood sugar look like? Is it is it higher on the on the level, and it's like the body fighting for homeostasis, or what does it look like? Um, so at, like as you, and by the way, I've never used one of those glucagon pens, so don't worry. It's I I, I think it's we have it. We've never used it, but like they like like that's like the break glass fucking emergency is the glucagon pen. Yeah, that's that's a real tough spot, and I've I've even been so low sometimes where like, you know, I've I've been in and out and like still haven't used it yet. So it's that that is a really tough spot to be in. So don't worry. Hopefully you won't have to use that. I I haven't used it in however many years, fifteen years. So don't don't worry. But um, but yeah, it's it, during the race. I mean, as you said, during workouts like high aerobic level workouts, like your blood sugar will go down. Uh, and and if anything, you know, I'm. I'm not worried if my, if my blood sugar is 250 at the end of the race, I don't really care because it's not affecting my performance at all. Uh, and right after the race, I've got my insulin anyway. Um, and if it's for, in no astronomical reason, would it ever go higher than that? Because you're not ingesting any carbs. You know what I mean? You're not, you know, my drink bottle in the car is only, you know, half Gatorade, half water anyway. So if it, 
if for some reason my blood sugar is going a little bit lower, like there's enough Gatorade in there to, you know, to help kind of correct it the other way. Um, but for the most part, it's a very, very straight line. You know, if I'm starting the race at 90, it could be 90 to 95 the entire way through. Um, until like, if you're in a super hot environment, like I'm going to drink what's in the drink bottle, no matter what, if we get a shot, you know what I mean? But then again, I'm again, not worried about it going high. The only part where you really start, uh, getting affected is if it starts to go low. And like the, the main thing that I've ever experienced when it starts to go a little bit slow in the car is you start to lose feeling in your hands. And so like, you can still control everything, but you start just losing feeling in your hands. And it's kind of like, ah, this isn't ideal. You know what I mean? Um, but there's, I, I still think your body is producing enough adrenaline that it just, it's, it's everything at such a high level. Um, so it's, it's something that, uh, I, I have not struggled with and some, you know, there have been some races where, yeah, I finished at 200, but there's also most races where I finished at 120. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's easy. The only thing that gets annoying afterwards though, is that you've lost all the water in your body. So your blood sugar will start to go up pretty easily afterwards because you've just lost all the, all the fluid in your body. And there's been some times as well. Like, uh, I remember last, last year at the race in, in Iowa, uh, I qualified on pole. We, we like, we had one of our best weekends, like great races, but it was a double header because in the 2020 season we were, uh, you know, they were doing a lot of double headers because a lot of our events were canceled because of COVID and whatever. So, um, you know, one and, and Iowa is a short oval seven eighths of a mile, you know, five G's every corner laps for 17 seconds. You're doing an average of 186 miles an hour in a seven eighths of a mile oval. They're physically the most difficult track on the schedule. And, you know, we're doing two races, two full distance races and they're, they're two hours each. And so after the first race, you know, I'm like, that was wild, you know, crazy. Like it went well, whatever we're, we're, we're done. Get an IV, uh, you know, hydrate. I had all these hydration plans, you know, noon tablets, bottles of water, all this stuff, you know, everything mixed together, all this stuff. And after race two, you know, we were pushing so hard to try and win the second race on a different strategy. So the last, you know, last 50 laps of the race, you know, I was doing qualifying laps. I was giving it absolutely everything in my entire body. And when I got out, I, I passed out of the car. Like I passed out for like 10, 15 seconds, like just kind of like out. Um, and then I, I, I went to the, you know, care center afterwards. I was like, all right, get some, get some water in me. You know, I'd lost everything in my body. Uh, but, but again, my blood sugar, was like 125, you know what I mean? No, no issue with the blood sugar, just your body was pushed beyond its limit of physical capability. And, you know, I, I couldn't move for the next 45 minutes without cramping in my body. I had to wrap my entire body in ice just to get to the plane, um, just, to, just to move. Um, and, and that was definitely the, the furthest I've been physically. But again, my blood sugar that entire time was never above 150, 175. So like it's it's not like the high blood sugar was inducing that. It's just the the amount that we are pushing in these cars, uh, you know, pushing our body to the absolute limit. What's the reasoning behind the manual steering? Is it just because that's always how it's been, and it's just kind of one of the features and the Iron Man kind of nature of it? Yeah, it, it, it's different, but also it's a weight thing. If you add a power steering system to the car, it's another thirty pounds potentially. So. 15 to 30 pounds so right now our cars are already too heavy and um we you know we we don't really want to you know add any more weight so it's it's kind of always the way it's been it's kind of been the the uh the separating factor for us as well um between formula one and nascar and it's you know it's kind of cool <laughs> what what's the size of the driver like how tall are you what's the weight is that average for every other racer 
So there's, it's, it's a wide variety of, of drivers. Like I'm, I'm five, nine and three quarters and I'm 180 pounds. So, you know, I, I there's only five drivers that are probably heavier than me. Um, but the lightest driver is probably 140 pounds. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe even less. Um, you know, you got these really small dudes uh, who are, you know, just kind of born that way. You got Takuma Sato, two-time Indy 500 champion. I mean, that guy is all a five foot four, maybe five foot five, and you know, maybe 125 pounds, 130 pounds. But you know, I, I still don't know physically how those guys do it. But obviously, everyone's different. Everyone, you know, has you know has a way they train differently. And sometimes there, you know, there are different ways in the car that we can make the cars a little bit physically easier to drive. Whether it's caster in the steering or a bigger a physically a bigger steering wheel i know takuma sato uses the biggest steering wheel that you can use um you know for leverage, more leverage. yeah more yep. leverage yeah there you go nailed it so um so yes yeah, so there's a wide variety of guys i think like the tallest guy is graham rahal he's like he might be six two six three um and 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 that's pretty tall like you're not going to be much taller than that and fit in a car um and graham is also the heaviest like graham is probably, you know, 25 pounds over the weight, uh, limit, but he's still, you know, he still does really well with it. Like he's won races, he does things, but he's not going to get much lighter. Like he's just, he's just a big dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, I was fortunate to do all of the Richard Petty NASCAR experiences when we were in the NFL. So they, we had a deal with NASCAR. And so we got to do it in, uh, um, in Irwindale. Uh, we went to, oh man, we went like uh, Kansas city. I think it was, um, Oh man, we did like four or five tracks, and it was awesome. Just trying to fucking do the lombada to get in there. You're like squeezing in there, and I'm you know yeah. just just under six six. So like trying to get in there, and I remember the first time we jumped in, they like give us we go through the safety brief, and I'm like I'm gonna fucking ride this dude's ass to try to get him to go as fast as I can. And then all he did was just slow down. So then you gotta like wave off and play the little game to try to like I almost wanted to like pass him on the outside and see if I could just fucking light it up. But we ended up going pretty fast, man. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The- those experiences are awesome. Like, that's what I always tell you. I was like, if you have a chance to do that, do it. Like, it's cool. Like yeah, it really the, is like, it really the, is different than what you're doing every day on the road. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the other one we did was, uh, the Bob Bonner at uh, racing school on yeah. the Corvettes. That was bitching. Mm-hmm. Like that was a, there, there was a lot of like technical driving stuff in terms of like diving into corners and like where to accelerate, just like really good, uh, information in terms of like, if you're going to drive a high performance car, and then uh, when, when I was living in Florida, I had a really pretty bitchin' Porsche, and um, I was part of the Porsche club, and we used to be able to go out to Sebring Raceway and go out there and run the cars. So it was, uh, That's it was awesome. fun. Yeah, no, I, I dude, I, I love it. I love every ounce of racing. So, I mean, and, any race we can go to. So it's, uh, it's super cool. Well, I promise you, if you want to come to an IndyCar race, let us know sometime. And also, it's on TV. So if you want to give it a, you know, give it a, give it a watch at some point, August 8th, the next one, it's going to be a good one. And, where are you guys August 8th <laughs> so we're in um we're in Nashville so it's a new it's a new venue for us we've never raced there uh it's a street course so it's it's in the streets of Nashville I think it's the first ever racetrack that goes over a body of water um we're going over the bridge uh in like the Cumberland Bridge or whatever in in Nashville so the track kind of goes around Titan Stadium over the bridge across the water a couple turns and then back across the bridge um, so it's a pretty cool track. It looks like, uh, and, and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So it'll be Sunday, August 8th. Um, I think it's on network. I think it's network NBC. It's either NBC or NBCSN. With, uh, what's your favorite track? I mean, are you uh, oval road course? Like what's your, what's your favorite? 
It's tough, man. I love Indy. Like I love the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Driving at the absolute limit on that track, you know, for the Indianapolis 500 is is incredible. Um, but when it comes to like road and street courses, uh, I mean, we've got some we've got some great tracks, and we've got you know Mid Ohio uh, road course in Ohio. Um, I love the Long Beach Grand Prix, the street circuit in Long Beach. Um, there's there's almost really no tracks that I don't like, oddly enough. So, and I've been very lucky to, you know, have been on a lot of tracks around the world as well. And I still think in America, we have some, you know, some incredible racing circuits. All right. Final questions over here. Racing movies. Oh, of course. What's your tops? Don't limit it to one. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's tough because I find, I think too fast, too furious is a racing movie. So I, and well, yeah, well, what, what else would it be? It's a documentary. Yeah, uh, yeah, we like to call them doc- <laughs> Exactly. The Fast and Furious documentaries. Ask me what my top three favorite movies are. It's uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, The Fast and the Furious, and Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift. No big deal. Uh, I, I think Tokyo I Drift's number one. I think it's the best one. See, I, lo- I love it. I-, I, think pe- I think it gets disrespected too much. Uh, the fact that that kid's driving that badass Monte Carlo. Uh, oh. Dude, that that Marnie Carlo speaks to every bit of my white trashness. <laughs> when I when I saw that thing, I was like, man, a flat primed Monte Carlo. That's this is our guy. Nice, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's totally our guy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, other than that, I mean, when it comes to comedic racing films, Talladega Nights. There's really nothing like it. I I, I love it. I think it's a great film. Um, there's a movie called Driven, which yes, is yeah. Stallone. Stallone wrote it. I've seen it. It's one of my favorites. It is a wildly out of control film, but it is awesome. And my dad trained Sylvester for that movie. So like, that was pretty hilarious. He's got photos on the wall of him, you know, him and him and freaking Stallone. And he's got my dad in a headlock and all that stuff. So that was, that's pretty hilarious. Who's taller Stallone or your dad? Uh, I think they were pretty close. They were uh, what, pretty similar. what about days of thunder? So Days is Thunder, again, I was about to roll to that. That's on HBO lately as well. I've been putting it on the TV. Love a bit of Days of Thunder. Um, mainly because of the cast. Cast yeah. is just strong. Uh, it's it's so quotable. Tires cold oh, yeah. in races. Oh, yeah, there's so many, you know. Yeah. But more recently, have you guys seen Rush? Yes. Rush, great movie. And that was, <laughs> that was my dad's era of Formula One as well. So, like... My dad doesn't go to the movies, but he went to that movie with me, and he's like, "Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's pretty accurate of how like how, what was going on, how it was like." Peter Hunt, the accountant and manager of James Hunt in that movie, was my dad's accountant as well, and like he was like, "Yep, that was kind of like how Peter was." Like I was like, "That's, that's I thought that was that was really really cool." <laughs> did you see uh, Ford versus Ferrari? I did, yes, and I I thought it was a great film because again, great cast. But because I'm a racing driver, I absolutely, I just, I hated the way that story plays out for the, for, for Ken Miles, because like that would so happen to me. Like you, you, you win Le Mans, but then it gets taken away. And like, it, it's something that makes me so angry as a driver because racing can be so political and so annoying sometimes. And people just wouldn't know it that, that I just, I can't watch it because it makes me angry. Like it's a great movie, but like I, just because I'm in racing, like I just hate to see the result of it. Uh, dude, the 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 part where Shelby gets in there with uh, Henry Ford Jr. and he just fucking is literally <laughs> just balls to the wall, 
and he's over there crying hysterically and it's like my daddy would have loved to have been here like was so <laughs> was so telling of Henry Ford Jr. and uh I, dude I loved it I I've seen that movie I've watched it a bunch of times but I also grew up in the South Bay I grew up in Southern California and uh Carol Shelby's son lived up the street from us so oh, we yeah we would see uh like and then Mike McCluskey who's like the foremost Shelby restoration guy his shop is down at Torrance Airport so we, when I was a kid, we used to ride our bikes down to this uh, general store and buy candy, and they had magazines. And his shop was right around the corner, so we used to always see these, uh, like just you know, and, and like it. If you're like a boy, and I don't mean in this type of time, but like little boys and loud, incredible looking cars. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I'm not a Ferrari fan, but a front engine V12 Ferrari driving by, I can hear it in the distance and know what it is, and I'll stop and like pay homage. Uh, like seeing like original Cobras 427, four, you know, 289, whatever it is, but the, the big nasty Cobras, like nothing, there's nothing like that. And uh, as even as a little kid seeing them go by, we would just stop and be like, you know, so it's uh, even to this day when I see it, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're car guys, right? Like anytime you see something like that, I, I agree. Like just yesterday or two days ago in Indianapolis, like, I mean, this is a little bit more, a little bit more current, but like, Indianapolis, not a big city. We're not LA. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not Chicago. We're not uh, Miami, but uh, a white Lamborghini Aventador rolled down the streets of downtown Indianapolis. And like everyone on the street, like froze. And I, even me, I was like, <laughs> what is this doing here? I was like, no way. I was like, oh my gosh, where did it come from? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you just saw like a, a dinosaur that had just been revived and it's walking down the street. It was like, it was, it was, it's like, I just love cars. Like you love seeing things like that. Dude, I saw one yesterday uh, that was highlighter green, like like the like the brightest highlighter green, and I saw it coming this way. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, like rolled my windows down and like took my yep. foot off the accelerator so I could hear it go by. And I was like, oh my god! And I'm not necessarily a Lamborghini fan, and I'm mad at them because I'll never fit in a Lamborghini. I played ah. with some dudes that had Lambos, and like I couldn't even like think my way into the passenger seat. I'm like, ah, fucking Italian shitheads! I can't that even get in this tough. thing. That is tough for you, and I feel bad because I, I, I just I, I I'm just thankful to not have to deal with that. Even though I feel like climbing in my Indy car every single time, I'm like, gosh, I wish I was smaller. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you, um, uh, if you had the opportunity, let's say, like you know, somebody pulls up and it's like, hey, you know, do you want to take my Lamborghini, you know, uh, Ventor for a, a spin? Uh, you think you could probably get them to pull a Henry Ford Jr. and cry in their pants? Um, I, I think I would surprise people. I, I think it's very easy to um, it's very easy to take people beyond their limit of what they think is possible in a car. But I honestly, when it comes to road cars, I, I'm not really super confident in road cars. Like only because when I when I've been to like a track day, right? And you and you go out there and like I, I did this track day event um, at Laguna Seca, not not mm -hmm. too long ago, uh, end of last year. And there are a lot of guys out there with some great Porsches. Mm -hmm. Beautiful place. Like yeah, if exactly. anybody's ever been there, like it's it's in Monterey. Laguna Seca is the most beautiful place on the planet. We race there end of September. If anyone wants to come out, going to be a great event. Right. But uh, but yeah, I, I I drove this guy's car and his Lamborghini and like. It does take time to get used to those cars. Like I'm, I'm not going to be the guy who, you know, goes out and immediately is at, uh, you know, ten tenths in, in in someone else's car or something else like that, because like I don't have to. You know what I mean? Like I don't. It, I, I'm not proving anything to this guy or anyone out there at this track day. That like, 
hey, I need to go, you know, balls to the wall in this car that could potentially fail because he's been driving it around like a stooge for, you know, hours. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people that are driving that like at, at first, like if I drive in their car, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm driving faster than this guy. But that's because they're at 12 tenths, right? And I'm at like seven tenths. Like I'll drive it maybe just as fast as that, maybe a hair slower, but I'm also completely within control. Whereas I, I'll never forget this guy with his, um, with his Porsche at this event, he crashed it and like uh. three times. And, and we had told the guy, we were like, look, man, you don't need to go that fast. Like you don't need to go, you don't need to be flat full throttle in this corner. Like I told him, I was like, look, man, I can promise you right now, I'm not even flat in an Indy car in that corner. I was like, I don't know what you're trying to do here. And every single time he spun the thing and then backed it into a wall. And I was like, we told you to go slower. Like, all you got to do is just do that. Like, but some people just, it, they can't process it. And it's one of those things that like, that's why a lot of these like expensive cars that you see crashed, it's because people just have not been to that limit of control of a vehicle and vehicles are hard to drive at the absolute limit. You know what I mean? No, I'm with you. Uh, well, that was their Indy 500. Try to yeah. freaking show off. Uh, you know, I always think if uh, if you got if you drive the car to the racetrack, like I think about this because um, I work on or we build um, like rock crawl, like I'm building a rock crawler right now in my shop, and uh, uh, if we're gonna drive it to the trail, I need to be able to drive it back to the trail. Now, if I tow it to the trail or put it on a trailer, then it's a, then we can fucking yard sale it. But I think a lot of times these guys are like driving this to the track day i'm like well if you're driving it here then obviously you gotta probably drive it home now if you're gonna trailer it or put it in your uh you know big uh you know enclosed deal then you know what then feel free to <laughs> rack it up but yeah no I've, I've seen some uh uh i've seen some amazing cars i mean paul walker let me class example yep. i mean you know split that uh what was it a um porsche carrera gt in half and the guy yeah. driving it was a race car driver yeah, I mean that again. That's one of those. Well, soy sort of a race car. That was such yeah. a bad situation for sure. But like again, there is no point in trying to prove something like that on the road. But like again, people feel the need to do it because again, when you think about it, there's seven billion people in the world, and there are only thirty three of us that show up every year at the Indy five hundred that are getting to push cars to the absolute you know limit at that at that level. So I I know that a lot of people that want to do that. You know what I mean. <laughs> Well, I mean, you guys, uh, like you said, I mean, 280 miles an hour on the street. I mean, I bet you the amount of people that have gone, you know, excess of, you know, 150, 160 you could probably, you know, you start cutting them way, way, way down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's wild to think of the, the cars that are for sale right now. Some like they're like, what's the top speed? 275 miles an hour you're like oh well, that's um the most insane thing i've ever heard of you know what i mean like all these what's uh what's uh what's because i remember my 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 porsche uh basically governed it like i mean it defueled i think at 184 and i was on alligator alley coming from miami and florida and i basically lit it up and was like i'm gonna pin this thing and basically was at that 184 for over an hour that's and, impressive <laughs> dude yeah I, I i was like you know what like the car actually drove better i thought it at faster speeds well, you're producing downforce at that speed, so yeah. downforce is grip. <laughs> I got home quick, uh, but yeah, the, yeah. Uh, like uh, I, I, uh, I saw just this weekend. I saw uh, a 2021 Corvette that was tearing up, and we live on kind of a windy road that people like on Sundays to drive. I saw some guy driving like an idiot in a Corvette. So, 
I mean, there's a reason that those things get split in half. It's usually some old man trying yeah. to relive his glory and fucking put it into the wall. Yeah. It's I've seen too many terrible things like that. It brings back like all these uh, all these memories. I'm like, look, guys, you just don't have to do that. And I was like, it's it's not worth it. I promise. Like, because I, I, I I can't wait to own a nice car someday. Like, I one of my goals in life is to own a cool supercar. I'm like, guess what? The one thing I'm probably not gonna do with it is is drive it like an idiot and super, super fast on the street. What, uh, um, do you have, like, uh, if you could sum it up, do you have one story, like uh, one racing story, like, uh, you know, like either win or loss or something that kind of sums up your career? I mean, you've raced in so many races and been over this, but is there like one story that sticks out that, you know, you get invited to give a toast or come talk at a, a rotary club, for example, and you got to like be able to tell one racing story. Do you have that one canned racing story that you tell? Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I think my, you know, this, the story of my career has been, uh, I always tell people I'm going to write a book, um, because there are certain events that you just kind of can't really understand. And like, I'm like, what, like, and, and a lot of it is, um, like there's there's a hashtag that goes around that's bad luck connor and and honestly like that it's 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 a true thing like it's it's something that you know i'm very lucky to be where i'm at like i'm very lucky to have made it as far as i have for sure and like you know i won a lot of races to get up to this point and and, and championships as well um but there's been you know many many scenarios in my career that i just kind of look back on and you're just like how in the world has has this happened you know what I mean? Or like, why? And, and honestly, I think something that I would, I would now say is probably the top one is from the Indianapolis 500 this year. I mean, the Indianapolis 500 is obviously, you know, it's my home race. I'm an Indianapolis native. Um, and it's our biggest event in the world. And it's, uh, you know, it's an event that, you know, my sponsor, the U S air force, you know, Memorial day weekend, it's a, it's a massive, uh, um, massive event. And, and this year was our, our, our best race by far going. Um, you know, I, I led the most laps of the race this year. Um, you know, when we took, when we took the lead for the very first time, uh, you know, it was the first time I had led the Indianapolis 500. Uh, I'd led, I've led plenty of other races before, you know, I've been on the podium in IndyCar races before. Um, but, uh, but this was the biggest and, uh, you know, seeing the crowd after afterwards, obviously, like I, I didn't see it during the race, but you know, a lot of the videos, you know, I still get emotional looking at them to this day because this is the coolest, coolest thing ever. I mean, it's the, the Indy 500. Um, we led the most laps. We were in a position to win the race. Um, and another car had crashed. And as we were navigating through that debris field, uh, the tire that had flown off of his car had flown through the air and landed directly on my nose cone as we were going by. Damn. And that ruined our race right then and there. And it's something that is so random that, that you know, you never understand how that, how in the world that happens. Um, but it's one of those things that we were also, it wasn't damaged enough to change it. And it wasn't damaged enough to where we were sure if it was going to, you know, be okay or not. So you, you end up in one of those situations where, you know, we, we went from potentially winning the Annapolis 500, the best, the biggest race in the world um, to, you know, to having something like that taken away, right? Like just right then and then through something completely out of our control. And, uh, you know, it was still, you know, still one of the most fun weekends of my life, some of the, the best race of my life. But like, there's just so many funny stories that I will tell some people of like, well, guess what? We were living this race and suddenly we ran out of fuel or like we, you know, we, we, we did this and it was like, 
So there's just a lot of interesting things that, um, you know, I, I, I can laugh about now because honestly, when, when events like that happen that are out of your control, you, you can't do anything about it. And like, I, I see a, you know, a sports psychologist as well on the regular because of, I think the mental side of racing is so interesting, you know, in basketball, football, you know, your, the, the, your performance personally is, is all that counts, right? If you're being, if you're fitter than anyone else, if you're doing things better than anyone else, like you're going to be recognized in racing, you could be the best driver on that grid. You could be having your best day ever. And there are so many things that are outside of your control that could happen, whether it's, you know, an engine failure, a piece in the car, breaking a very, very small piece, a bad pit stop, a, uh, you know, a random, you know, someone else crash that ruined your strategy in the race. You know what I mean? There's so many things that can take away your day um, that I think people just don't realize how mentally tough that can be sometimes, because if you keep showing up and performing at the best of your ability, but you don't have the trophies to show for it, right? You're like, well, how, how is this, you know, how is this happening? You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of a, you know, an interesting lesson that I've learned. And, and uh, you know, I definitely feel like I've gone through a lot to have kind of put me on this, uh, you know, put, put me where I'm at now, which I feel pretty good about. And, and, and that's, you know, that's good. So overcoming adversity when you have zero control over the adversity that's overcoming at you. Well, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nailed. So if, yeah, uh, if people want to catch up with you and they want to follow you, I know I will, where do they find you on social media? So on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Connor daily 22, um, one in like Connor McGregor, but not as Irish and not as uh, rich and uh, a Y. So, uh, that's, that's Twitter and Instagram. I use mainly those the most. I have a Facebook page as well, but I don't really like Facebook, so I don't really use it as much. But I'm on there. It's a verified account, so you'll find it if you just type in my name. Yeah, what's too, your What's your TikTok? Too much people complaining about uh, every, every time I turn on Facebook or uh, oh click on God. Facebook, yeah. it's uh, people arguing about COVID and the vaccines. Yep, it, it, that's like it. it's it's uh, like I don't click on any of this stuff, and I'm like. So like I, I'm always like, ah, is it the algorithm that's showing me this? Because when uh, you know my wife's like, every time I go on Facebook, I see like, you know, cat memes and cats playing with with yarn. And I'm like, all I see is uh, people arguing about the vaccine and COVID, and she's like, yeah. I don't know what you're clicking anger. on. I'm like, I click on nothing. So much anger. That's it. Yeah, and, and I'm all, I also I'm on Twitch. Big streamer on Twitch. I love to stream. Twitch.tv/ConnorDaily22. Great place to uh, play video games and uh, try to build a community. Do you have a website? Is there a Connor twenty Connor Daily twenty two dot com? Websites are dead. Websites are dead. Actually, yeah. I do. I mean, I have I have ConnorDaily.net, but it's uh, it's currently under reconstruction. <laughs> uh, well, wow. it's good somebody owns Connor dot uh, Connor Daily dot com. Well, yeah, I, we, know, we know him, but he won't he won't sell it to us. So, so. that's weak sauce. Yeah, <laughs> you need to go over there and put a fucking punchify his face. I agree. You know where that <laughs> comes from? Um, Grandma's boy. Hey, what do you, is it? No, it should be. Punch um, size your face for free. That's Super Troopers. Super Troopers, dude. How'd you miss that one? That's another great car movie. Nailed it. Ah. Super Troopers. All yeah. Right. Uh, cool, man. Dude, awesome time. I'm definitely tuning in. You want a fan over here. Yeah, me too. And yeah, hopefully we'll get the, the wings of Power Athlete Nation behind you and, and you get a little extra buzz and get our good karma. We've got some champions in our past. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. No, it's well, been cool. awesome talking with you guys. Well, yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule of riding your bike and you know eating fish and vegetables pizza. and pizza <laughs> and whatever else you do. So video games and video games on Twitch. So <laughs> well, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Hey, I'm going back. I'm a little-
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Connor Daly on Instagram at ConnorDaily22 or head to ConnorDaily.net to learn more about IndyCar racing. Until next time, bye!